0: Hey, guys, Sean Lovejoy here with Courage to Lead and partner at Exponential with my friend, founder of Exponential, Ty Wilson, and one of my really good friends. Good to see you, Todd.
1: Sean, it's so good to see you again. It feels like we haven't done this together in a long time, so
0: it's been, good a, month. To be with you. It's been a month or so, but um, time flies when you're having fun. Ah.
1: And we finally get to, just speaking of catching up, it's... Uh, I know you've already been traveling some. Everybody's got to kind of emerge from this COVID thing. And I got to tell you, I uh, just traveled for the first time in a long time a couple of weeks ago, and I've told a couple of people uh, I've never been in prison, but it's getting back on an airplane. I think I probably felt like what it feels like to get out of prison. I... uh I was saying that uh, as I'm flying across the country, I just felt like I want to schedule a trip to San Francisco and to Los Angeles and to Denver and to Chicago. I just want to, like, fly across the country at this point. So uh, it does seem like there's some light at the end of the tunnel here of uh, uh, freedom. And I know you and I are going to be together uh, next week in Austin, Texas. So I think the floodgates are opening on travel again.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I can't please everybody with what I'm going to say next, but probably 50% will hate and 50% will love me. I don't know, but I went and got vaccinated, had my second vaccination. Have you been vaccinated? Just curious. I've had two vaccinations myself. So, yeah. So I'm a big advocate, you know. And the reason I am is it, I love the way it makes people feel around me. Hmm. Instantly makes people feel safe. It's amazing, you know. So it wasn't for me. You know, it was for people around me that I got vaccinated. I'll take I'll take on the dangers, you know, potential dangers and threats and long term implications so that people around me feel safe, including my 80 year old dad. You know, but I was in Houston yesterday. And the minute you tell everybody, it's like their defenses go down. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's I, I really do think the idea of respecting others and what they decide, like I for you and I both have younger kids, you know, that are just at the beginning of the child rearing ages and stuff. And, you know, there, there are young people who are very concerned about, you know, having kids and Hey, what's the impact in terms of maybe to having kids and stuff like that. So, I mean, I I think there's a lot of variables to this on how people make their, their decisions one way or the other. I've, we've got a mutual pastor friend who, uh, had told me he was he was not for getting the the vaccine and wasn't planning to get the vaccine and then he he told me he had three different close people in his life who got covid and all three you know pretty much begged him you do not want to get this you you better go get the vaccine like it's it's the lesser of two evils so you know, there's not a right or wrong answer. I'm not going to fault anybody one way or the other. right? You know, I may get I the
0: last laugh when we start growing extra thumbs, you know, six <laughs> or eight years from now or something. I don't know. But we, it is what it is. Well, we're going to talk about leadership today, and I'm passionate about it. You know, I'm passionate that we're talking about, you know, vitality and leadership and measuring success the right way. You know, I'm going to I'm going to rewind for a minute. You and I didn't talk about this offline because you, you don't remember this. But you helped me walk through a life planning process. You know, when I was considering my transition of handing off my church and doing coaching full time, that's something I've been doing for a long time. You knew it was in me. You weren't surprised by the conversation. You know, but one of the things you said to me, I said, well, I just I don't know what my lane is. I don't know what my niche is, you know, in the coaching space. And you said, you know, Sean, you would you should you should hang your hat On the health hat, like you've you've been passionate about that. You've been passionate about vitality. You know, when David Putman and I ran churchplanners.com years ago, we we had a practice called nurturing vitality that we coached and, and taught around. And, of course, my wife called me on the carpet in year three of our church in the midst of an explosive growth stage for being allowing the church to turn me into a workaholic. And if anyone's ever repented, I did. You know, we took back our church, our ministry, our pace, our rhythm, and really ran at a good pace the next 15 years. You know, it's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about this is because if you are a recovering perfectionist and you are a recovering workaholic, you know, like I am, but I've been able to harness that beast, man. And I know how to shut it down. And we've run at a healthy pace the last really almost 20 years now. And uh, I don't, I never needed a sabbatical, man. I never needed one to recover, You know, from burnout. Not that I'm against them. You know, it's just that I never needed it because I lived at a healthy rhythm the rest of the year. I think there's a lot to learn there. A lot of pastors we work with, they come back from sabbatical and six days after the sabbatical, they're just as burned out as they were before they left because they've entered into the same manic pressure, you know, as they left. So obviously you and I share a heart for this, the same I know it's your passion, you know, for churches not to grow so fast they get unhealthy. That's a big tenet of our coaching, so I'll just put the ball on the tee for you to, you know, share your heart around this issue. You wanted to talk about this today.
1: Yeah, I think uh Sean and we've we've talked about this on even past shows. Uh, you know, over a year into this pandemic and uh a lot of mental health issues, a lot of anxiety issues, a lot of uncertainty. If you just get inside the psyche of, uh, of, of church leaders at this point, and particularly lead pastors. Um, I think just the combination of, of uh, all of the different things is wreaking some havoc. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see quite a bit of turnover probably in leadership positions. And, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a weird thing. Carrie Newhoff had a post this week on, you know, pastors being busier than ever. And I I was drawn into the clickbait on it to read about the being busier than ever, and honestly, I was so busy I didn't get to finish the article to see what the punchline was, kind of thing. And it's sort of the irony in the whole thing at this point. We're all overloaded with uh, the amount of email traffic into our inboxes, which is greater now, and all the different things. So I I I think we're so committed to this at Exponential right now. Our our next major thing we're doing is an online summit called Reset, Leading with Confidence in the Post-COVID Church. If you just dwell on that for a second, the idea of resetting, um, where a lot of people are going to come at the reset from the, the futuristic part of it, we chose to come at the reset through the lens of personal scorecard and church scorecard. How healthy is your personal scorecard? Um And I think we just need to, I I think, be in a season of some amount of reflection before emerging from the, the pandemic thing here where, you know, each person's kind of looking hard at their own personal scorecard and what's healthy and what's not. Um, our mutual friend, Larry Wachemeyer uh, did, did a bunch of work. And we recently, he put together this, uh, 12 characteristics of unhealthy scorecards and, uh, Part of what was interesting, Sean, we did this work to put the 12 characteristics together. And right as we were publishing it, Francis Chan just came out with this book on unity. And I was doing an interview with Francis Chan, and it it was fascinating. Uh, It it went where I didn't think it was going to go. At the core of the unity conversation, the way Francis has positioned his book, is the idea that busyness and hurriedness is at the root of disunity, that we, we you know, there's the vertical dimension with God, and there's the horizontal dimension with people. And we get so busy and distracted in the horizontal with people that the busyness keeps us separated from God in the vertical. That's and true. and so, I, I think the integration of the mental health things, the locked up in isolation and COVID, not having the same relationship stuff. And then this really weird dynamic that people are busier than ever right now with the pivots of COVID and just the hurriedness and busyness, even when you're isolated, uh, really points the need on, on this idea of vitality and why it's important that we're talking about vitality.
0: It's cool, man. Well, um, I, I, first, I, I pro, we probably ought to just clarify you know, a little bit more what we're talking about. When I, when I think about vitality, I think about life. I think about growth. I think about vibrancy. You know, I think about something that's well nurtured, something that's cared for, you know, vitalism, you know, vitality comes from the word vital, Yep. which means it's important. It's, a, it's necessary. It's essential. should be prioritized, you know, and if we wait until we have enough time, like you said, and enough energy, you know, to care about us. I felt guilty for years, Todd. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I've shared it in different circles. I felt guilty as a pastor for years saying no and like putting myself first. That sounded very narcissistic. But over time, I realized that's that's actually what Jesus did. Like he got up early in the morning while it was still dark, not because he was a morning person. It's just the only time people weren't looking for him. You know, Mark chapter one proves that, you know, as soon as the sun comes up, Peter and the disciples are looking for him. Jesus, everybody needs you. Come down here. You know, he, he just he, he, he nurtured. He, people were sucking the life out of him all day long. A lot of pastors and leaders can identify with that. So he had to start, you know, refueling, you know, every day and then do a Bible study in the Gospels of all the times Jesus is trying to get away from people. I could make the strong theological study that Jesus was an introvert, you know, and preferred being alone and in small circles rather than being in large crowds, you know, um, because it was it was a challenge and people needed him and were always wanting something from him. And that's where a lot of pastors find themselves and they feel guilty, Mm. you know, pulling away. So I think first just setting a theological foundation that it's okay. It's okay not to make yourself available all the time to everybody all the time. I know I made that mistake early on as a pastor. We were running a thousand people in attendance, and I think they all had my cell phone. (laughs) And I changed my cell phone number about that time. Um, Told them on a Sunday I had done so. I said, so if you text me and tell me I preached a great message, I won't get it today. (laughs) Or if you try to chew me out, you know, and I was very careful and guarded after that. You know, who had access to me? Yeah, and our church grew, you know, because of that. So I think you know, just giving guys permission, I, I would feel guilty sitting alone reading a book. I feel guilty having my quiet time. I feel like I need to be doing something. And maybe there's a white reason God said, "Be still and know that I'm God."
1: You know, Sean, when I when you say the word vitality, you, you said kind of it comes from the word vitals. I that's where my brain goes. I think vitals and. You know, being a person who's got some medical issues and things, if you, I don't know if you know, but when you go get your physical or you go to the doctor, they check your vitals. They check your weight, your height, your blood pressure, your temperature, your pulse. And 90 plus percent of problems with people can be diagnosed in the first five minutes of checking vitals. Like sure. the vitals really you know, give you the insights into the health of something. So this idea of vitality, you know, if we do the analogy to whether it's the gauges on the car tell you the health of the car engine and, you know, how much gas you've got and the oil pressure and the temperature, um, if, if we were pressing into vitality the same way, if we thought of it as a dashboard scorecard of the four, five, six, seven things that are you know, just vital to to health, to good leadership health. Um, what what's at the you know? I know maybe they're not ranked in order, but what are, what are maybe the top factor you'd put in that list?
0: No, and I do think they're all you know equally important. You know, um, so plugging them in like spokes on a wheel, or you know whatever it looks like, um, gears of growth we call them what you know what it looks like obviously the first one is spiritual you know a great passage for this is that mark 135 through 38 where jesus gets up of course luke tells us he often withdrew to the wilderness to pray <clears throat> you know alone he prayed with the disciples but he prayed alone and jesus needed to be refueled and if he needed it <laughs> my gosh you know how much do we need it and Years ago, I stopped calling it a God time. I mean, a, a quiet time. I started calling it a God time. I didn't want to be legalistic about it, but just recognizing that I needed it. I feel most successful when I'm successful spiritually. I feel least successful when I'm less successful spiritually. Everything else can be chaos. Mm-hmm. But if me and the Lord are tight, it's good, man. It's good. And, of course, my identity, my confidence – the fruits of the spirit, you know, flow out of that. My joy, my gentleness as a leader, you know, when I turn into a mean leader, it's because my vitals are all off, you know, my, my relationship with God's not right.
1: I, I know, Sean, this is a little bit of a, it's going to seem like a strange question, but if we took the, the things we're going to walk through here today with spiritual being the first one. If, if you had to create a mental model, you know, you just said like spokes on a wheel or gears on a, a thing, you know, years ago, there was the minimum stave principle of a bucket that, you know, any of the staves on the bucket, the lowest one limits how high the water can be in the bucket. Um, you know, maybe it's a picture of five overlapping circles that there's actually overlap and integration between the five what, what's the picture of the elements we're going to talk about here? How integrated are they? Are they completely yeah. separate things? or are, And I know we're going to get to them, but just to get a mental model for people here, um, are, are they overlapping or integrated, separate? What's the model look like? We use the imagery of gears okay.
0: because they're separate, but they're interdependent. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, you know, relational vitality, is the second one we're going to talk about today. Why did Jesus create the church? Think about this, okay? We can sing songs in the shower, and I sound better at it. Okay. I can watch messages online. I have my Bible app. I can down, you know, I can download what, what so what do I need the church for? The pandemic's proved it. I, I believe the primary reason Jesus created the church is because we need each other. It is not good for man to be alone. Adam, God is not enough. <sighs> Adam had God and it wasn't good, you know, so that if if I don't have strong friends that are going the same direction that I am, you know, that I can call it 2 a.m., that I can tell my secrets to, you know, and won't judge or think less of me for it and that we can also have some fun with, you know, and do it together. To me, it has everything to do with my relationship with God. There's something about being in a, a room full of people worshiping versus being in my study worshiping, mm. you know? So in that way, they all go together. They all go together. So if me and God are just having a good time, but I don't have any friends, still, there's still a void. It's still not good. It's mm. still not good. And then you got emotional vitality. That's the other one we wanted to talk about, that, all the mental health stuff. You know, I gotta process through my pain. I gotta process through my genetics. I've got to process through my identity and my calling and my wiring. And I've I've got to be secure in my own skin. And I've got to make sure I process through my wounds. I believe. Okay. There are studies that in 2019 that showed as many as one out of two pastors struggle with some level of clinical PTSD. What is it post-pandemic? <laughs> Maybe two out of three post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. you know. And if we don't process through our pain and our wounds in a healthy way, that affects our relationship with God, affects our relationships with people. So I'm answering your question to me, that's why we've got to be holistic in our approach of all of this mm-hmm. to make sure, and it takes that takes a lot of work. Mm. It takes it takes a lot of work on me to make sure that I'm healthy, that I'm bringing the best version of myself to the table. And of course, that affects me at work. It affects my preaching. I told a pastor a couple of weeks ago, this right here, dude, is show your lack of confidence right now. I call it your spiritual swagger, your apprehensiveness, your struggles with your identity and your worth shows up in your preaching way more than you think it does. Mm. Same words, (laughs) different posture. You know, in your preaching, so they all they all go together, my friend. I mean, I really do think they do. Um,
1: when you're, if if we go back to your first one, spiritual, and then you said the second was relational, and then you mentioned the third, emotional. Um, when when you're coaching other leaders, when you're going in and consulting or coaching with groups and leaders. Just touch on for each of these elements, what, when you're assessing or helping and coaching a leader on, let's say, the spiritual dimension, what are you looking at when you're assessing or giving feedback on the coaching
0: on that dimension, the spiritual dimension? We, we literally use the fruits of the spirit when we talk about spiritual vitality. <laughs> how's, how's your love for people? Are you just building something big, building your kingdom? You know, are the joy over one person giving their life to Jesus, is that still there? You know, are, do you still hurt when other people hurt? You know, do you bear their burdens? You know, how's your joy? How's your gentleness? You know, how's your kindness? How's your self-control? Tell me about your habits. You know, all, all of that kind of reveals our true spiritual temperature. Then, you know, he says the works of the flesh are obvious too. You know, so we can unpack those in in a in a negative in a negative sense. So it's not an the the it's not about reading the Bible every day. Pharisees do that. You know, it's 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 about me living out the fruits of the spirit. And of course I say in my book measuring success, success is being loved and respected by those closest to you. It's interesting to me that all the fruits of the spirit are um, expressed toward other people. I mean, they're expressed in community, hmm. you know, so people can tell whether you, you're displaying the fruit or not. Hmm. So that's how we start with spiritual. What do you think of when you think about spiritual vitality?
1: Well, this is where the interrelationships of the different things fit in. You know, when, uh, I mean, my brain immediately on the spiritual goes to the disciplines of that, getting rest, taking the Sabbath, uh, rhythms of prayer, rhythms of devotion. It, you know, I, I probably immediately go to the word rhythm, uh, you know, just, you know, you started out talking about Jesus withdrawing to private places to pray and be on his own in the morning and stuff. So I I definitely think about that as a first thing on the spiritual, the connection with God, you know, and if you go back to that idea of the busyness that we're in, that the noise of life keeps us from hearing the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, how do you position yourself in a rhythm uh so that you're even in a position to be hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit kind of thing? So it, it. it feels like there's definitely, you know, on one end of the spectrum on the spiritual, I, I think of the busyness that's there. And then on the other end, it's to how do you find the quietness and the and the rest time to, you know, even be able to have the the voice of God be heard sort of which thing.
0: kind of flows over into the other two. I mean, we have to introduce them to make sure that we're, you know, everybody understands what we're doing, is but but it's not it's cyclical, it's not it's not chronological. Huh? You know, you got spiritual, relational, emotional, then you got physical vitality. Hmm. And professional vitality, you know, being able to bring your best for God. Hey, there, honestly, there are some millennials that don't understand that whole thing. Hmm. You know, I need to unpack what, what you I,
1: mean by that. Well, I mean, what does that mean, folks? Yeah, so,
0: so I can prove this, okay? A lot of pastors have lived by this mantra that it's God family ministry, okay? And that I try to, you know, I want to live a balanced life between you know, all these different aspects of my life. I don't believe balance is biblical. I don't believe it's beneficial. I don't think it's possible. I've never been a balanced person. I don't think Jesus was balanced. You know, he probably worked a little too much for whatever it's worth. You know, and you're
1: defining balance as this equal portfolio of divvying up 33, 33, 33 or some kind of
0: and trying to do it is discouraging. You know what I'm saying? You're like, when you put a yoke on yourself that God didn't put on you, It'll wear you out. So I love the idea of, to me, that life in rhythm is intensity followed by rest. Intensity followed by rest. We created the 40-hour work week. In the beginning, we were created to work six days a week, sun up to sundown. They didn't have Netflix, so they went to bed at dark. <laughs> and they got up at daylight, and they started working again for six days in a row. That's a 72-hour work week. Okay. Hello, ministry friends. <laughs> All right. 72 hours a week was the original week, work week. You're not overworked. You're not. Mm -hmm. Most people. Um, But you're not you're not scheduled. You're not oriented in your time. You're not disciplined in your time. Your day is planning you rather than planning your day. You're a doer in ministry rather than developer in ministry. So you're down in the weeds doing things you shouldn't even be doing. You know, when you should be building the team and equipping the saints. So some guys and gals need to work on the intensity piece. Be on time. Show up. Give your best. Don't be trying to get away from the office and go home all the time. You know, and be on Instagram when you should be working. (laughs) There's an intensity that I think that is worship as well, Todd, Mm. to bring our best for the glory of God. But then every seventh day. And every seventh year we shut it down, we Mm -hmm. shut it off, you know, we cease producing. And they were so serious about it. They wouldn't prepare a meal on that day. And of course we violate that. Mm -hmm. So we're tired when we show back up, you know, after our quote Sabbath. So um, usually I ask a leader, so tell me about your Sabbath. (laughs) They start, they literally start laughing. You know, and I always like, oh, that's, that gets my antennas up. You know, we got to work on that. So it's, it's when, when I bring, when I, when I take that Sabbath, you know, the, the problem solving part of your brain has a longer runway than the creative, innovative side of your brain. Mm. Mm. So I can solve problems longer and manage things literally when I don't stop, when mm. I don't cease daily weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually. When I don't st- I'm literally robbing my church, my organization of our best innovative creative potential.
2: Mm.
0: I can manage things, I can solve problems, I can respond to emails and texts and program events, but I'm not the best version of me. So that's where all these things go together, you know, to me Todd is mm. the co- looking comprehensively at our health. Does that make sense to you?
1: Oh, yeah. But you, you sparked a thought. Let me ask you your thought on something. Uh, this idea back to the Garden of Eden and, you know, man was uh, six days a week, 12 hours a day working. And it, it, I think if we look at what happened when he's kicked out of the garden, he's now going to toil by the sweat of his brow, which would imply that that 72 plus hours a week of work before was not toil, that there was actually some kind of joy in it probably sort of thing. So, if we if we took the pre-kicked out of the garden time period, the factors you're going through here, the spiritual factor, there's a direct relationship with God. There's not been the separation yet. There's the ultimate commune with God in the garden. Uh, the relational piece, even though there's not a whole lot of people, Adam's best friend was the person that he was working with in the garden, his only friend, his spouse. So there's a, there is a relational camaraderie going on there. Um, you know, we don't know a lot about the emotional state at that, that point, but the emotional factor, you know, let's assume there's a synergy there. Here's my question. Could it be that this idea of vitality and these five elements we're talking about all we're talking about is, you know, once the consequence of sin is in the world and we now will toil by the sweat of our brow and what we're doing, the busyness of life, the stresses of work, all the stuff. In some ways, this idea of healthy vitality things are simply a, a glimpse back into what are the elements of eternity, back to the garden, like, you know, that that actually, Get us to where it's hard for us to think about, but the idea of we get up at six o'clock in the morning, work, 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 come home and go to bed as soon as we get home. And we don't call that toil, we call that a joyful experience. That's hard to wrap your head around. But I think, is that partly what we're talking about in Vitality here is thinking differently, even about the integration of life and and even seeing work differently in some ways.
0: I totally agree. And I, I think one of the mindsets we fall into is this idea that this should be heaven on earth. And it's not yet. Yeah. Heaven on earth is not here yet. In this world, we will have troubles. So, you know, maintain your poise. Don't get so easily rattled. Don't get so easy to, to depressed. Don't get so easily angered. You know, joy is a fruit of the spirit, not a fruit of the circumstance. You know, so I'm going to have it's going to be troubles all day long. Am I going to let that rob my joy? You know, or can I maintain that out of the overflow? My relationship with God, my identity, my confidence, my wiring, my calling, my rest, you know, Mm -hmm. to bring my best. Can I see all of all of life as worship? You know, one of the things my wife said to me. Back in two thousand one, Todd, she said, Every, "You walk in the door." She said, "You're still doing minute." We run up to the door to see you, and you're still on your stinking phone. <laughs> like I wasn't present. You know, I was, I was, I was elevating one, th- one of these areas over the other. You know, my relationships with my family, and one of the commitments I made twenty years ago is that I would never walk in the door again at the end of the day on my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like being where your feet are, you know, when I'm at work, man, this is this is this is what I was made for. You know, I want to bring my best for the glory of God. But then I change gears and I go home. Henry Cloud says, Les Parrot. both of those guys have talked about this. I don't know who was the first one to talk about it, but they say if you work outside the home, the first seven minutes at home sets the tone for the whole family the rest of mm. the evening. Hmm. first seven minutes. Hmm. I'll never forget hearing that almost 10 years ago. And I'm like, that's what I've been talking about, you know? Hmm. So it's like, I I make it's, it's, it's real. So if that's true, what's it like in staff meeting? (laughs) If you're the leader, the first seven minutes, like you set the tone, everybody knows if you're leading out of the overflow or if you're bringing your leftovers, you know, everybody can see whether the fruit's there or not and holding ourselves accountable to that. You know, mm-hmm. is is powerful. So I pay really close attention to the first seven minutes in the office, and the first seven minutes at home. Because it's really leader. good. Everybody's watching me, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody's reading my tone, and they they can tell it, man. They can tell. look Sean's off today. He's aggravated. You know, mm-hmm. he's tense. He's he's he doesn't have any margin, or he's present. He's on. He's healthy. They can tell it, man. In seven minutes or less, can't they?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Sean, uh, you're making me think. Uh, the very first job I had at age 22 out of college uh, uh, was not a Christian organization, uh, but the guy I went to work for, my my boss was a Christian. He was about 60 years old. And here I am, a 22-year-old, brand new in the organization, and I carpooled with him. I, he would drive me home at the end of the day. Uh, we finished work at 530. Uh And it was a hard I mean, we worked hard all day, finish at 530. And guess what he would do at 530? You know, I'm ready to run out the door. And he would sit in his chair and pull out a book. And he would read his book for about 20 or 25 minutes. And we wouldn't leave until almost six o'clock to go home. He was changing gears. And he he absolutely, I didn't understand it at the time, but he told me, When I'm home, I'm home. When I get home tonight, I want to be home. I don't want to take work with me. And I need to have a a buffer zone to get my brain out of work and into home. And uh, I recently was on a call with Matt Chandler where Matt was telling me that he has tried to build in the rhythm of life of a 15-minute margin before and after every meeting like so that he can... I do that De- decompress yeah. from the previous one and have time to think about the next one. So um, I, I'm guessing this idea of that kind of rhythm margin, where would you put that that, that idea of margin, even as it plays into where I love you're saying where your feet are, that's where your heart and brain need to be kind of thing. If you're home, you're home. If you're at work, you're at work. But where's this idea of margin with intentionality? Yeah, fit into these
0: factors. Well, you'll appreciate this, and I know you do this a lot. You know, every healthy thing needs a structure and a system. I mean, that's how God created the world. He created the seasons and the calendar and the tides and the the morning and the evening. I mean, he created us to live this way. So that means we've got to understand, you know, what the season is. One of the first things we do with leaders that we coach is, a calendar audit where we basically get their two last two months of calendar. And it's amazing how many of those calendars taught are blank are just huge chunks of unscheduled, unintentional time. They're reacting rather than initiating, you know, and of course their none of their personal stuff is on there, their date night, their family night, their vacation, you know, they're going to get all that schedule when it slows down, you know, which never happens. So there is an intentionality that comes with all of that. I remember telling Tricia years ago, we're going to have to calendar our date night,
2: hmm. and
0: she's like, "Well, that's not very romantic or spontaneous." <laughs> I'm like, "But, but nothing else intentional in my life is just spontaneous. You know, it's intentional. I'm intentional about it, and it get, what gets on my calendar gets done. You yeah, know, and yeah. we've been able to be faithful to that because we. Maxwell says, make the decision once, and then manage it daily. So, we, we made a decision. We would not be out more than two nights a week away from home 20 years ago. It's a commitment yeah. I've kept for 20 years.
1: Did, do you or did you, when you were leading the church, actually do a calendar meeting with Trisha every week?
0: Yes. We started that in year seven of our marriage in response to a licensed professional marriage counseling.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so tell us about that process. What does it look like to have a schedule meeting with your, with your spouse every week? It's
0: calendar and coin. It's calendar and coin. So, Hey, what are we doing? What's our calendar? What's going on? Hey, just so you know, you know, as a reminder, I'll be in Austin next week. (laughs) Don't want to surprise her with that. Uh, Happy wife is a happy life. So, now, this is when I'm going this one. I'll be back. Hey, prom is this Friday night. Don't forget that Saturday night, you know, and so we're we're there to do business. We're, this is not a date, you know, and then we go over our budget. We talk about some she's engaged at a high level with courage to lead. I call her the CFO. She doesn't like that term, but just big picture. You know, how are we doing our gauges? And we're like there to do business. You know, so we have that we have a business meeting every other week and then we have a date rhythm you know, at least every other week. And man, it's changed our marriage. That has changed our marriage to do it that way. And oftentimes we'll say, hey, can that wait for our meeting? You know, can we talk about that in our meeting this week? And it keeps us from talking about ministry all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, around the breakfast table and the dinner table and in the hallways and the bathroom. But then, you know, we're on our date. We can really just be us, two human beings, not two human doings. You know, we, we've really tried to live this way, man. And, you know, in our lives, it's, it's one of the, so when we, when we coach people, we care about the professional life and the professional growth, but we care about their health, hmm.
1: care about their health. So you're on a rhythm of every other week, a schedule meeting and every other week, a date night kind of thing. Yeah.
0: It just works for me to schedule it, man. Do we have to move it? Yeah. Just like any other appointment, but it doesn't just get shoved off. You know, it gets rescheduled. Right. You know, and all of that. Hmm. So, well, Sean,
1: the, the fifth item that you had was professional. Just unpack that a
0: little bit, what that means for people, if you would. You've lived this. I mean, you probably read as much as any leader that I know. You know, I read a ton. I'm always sharpening my axe. And, and getting better and learning and growing. I tell leaders all the time, if you're ever hearing me speak and you're like, I've heard that somewhere before, I guarantee it. I've never had an original thought. <laughs> Everything I know, I learned from someone somewhere, but that's true for everyone. So success causes you sometimes to stop learning. And if you stop learning, you stop growing. And if you stop growing, your organization will stop growing. Why do churches stop growing? To me, the answer is simple. They choose to mm. stop learning. Stop growing. Mm. They're they're unwilling to to keep getting better, keep getting counsel, keep getting coaching, keep getting outside perspective. It's amazing how many pastors I meet. Todd tell me I'm not really a reader.
2: Mm.
0: I'm like, do what? (laughs) Mm. Do what? To me, that's a mouthful. What you just said to me when you say I'm not a reader. I, that just communicates a ton to me when somebody says that. Hmm. Um, so you got to keep learning. Are you going to get left in the dust, man? You got you, you you're going to stagnate in every way. So it's that's surrounding yourself with other voices, you know, upstream people that are further ahead of you, people that are equal to you, and pouring out into people that are beneath you. But it's also reading, studying, being in webinars like today and podcasts and. Man, I'm devouring content, you know. I was a C student in college that hated to study. (laughs) I'm from Alabama. We're 48th on every list, okay? Thank God for Mississippi and Louisiana. But I am what I am because I have fought for coaches. Mm. And I've read thousands of hours, you know, and I read probably a dozen hours, you know, every week. Mm. I'm getting better, man. You know, I'm getting better. That's my posture. I'm going to keep getting better rest of my life. So that's what I mean by professional, you know, it's fanning into flame, my gift. Mm. I was a pretty good coach six years ago when I started, I'm a better coach today. You know, I was a new CEO six years ago. I'm much better at it today. You know, Mm. just watch me. Mm. I'm getting better. and, and, that's sort of a chip on your shoulder you put on there to say, I'm going to, become, I'm going to sharpen my skill. I'm going to get better. I'm not going to get down on myself. I'm not going to focus on failures. I'm going to focus on lessons learned. It's like Simon Sinek says, I'm playing the infinite game.
2: Hmm.
0: I'm playing so,
1: Sean, game. As, as we wind down here, like for, for the people that are listening that are thinking to themselves, man, I'm just out of balance on all five of these things. Like I'm not doing well at any of them. And now you're talking about being an avid reader and learning and consuming. And it just makes me feel even worse that I don't have time to do all that. Like for that, that person that's feeling a bit overwhelmed in these five, where do they start? Like where? what's the taking some steps here to move the needle?
0: I tell leaders that, that one area of discipline flows over into another area of discipline. So just start with one. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's physical, you know, you just gone through a last stage last few years with some health scares and managing all that. Where you are like, you know what? This is not a joke anymore. I got to take care of myself. I'm going to double down on my health. I'm going to start watching what I eat. I'm going to start walking more in the afternoons with my wife. We're going to enjoy that time. We're going to be intentional about that. Like, dude, I've watched you get better in that area of your life in the last few years. Salute. Mm. You know, so and then you start feeling more confident, don't you? Mm-hmm. In other areas when you when you get better at one area. So just pick one, pick the one you suck at the most or <laughs> pick one that's in the middle. It really doesn't matter. Just say, I want to set a growth plan for these areas and you need to be held accountable. So mm-hmm. one of the greatest values of a coaching relationship is you need someone to hold you accountable to your plan because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's why we hire personal trainers and go to the gym. It's not that we can't do that at home. We 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 need accountability, you know. Oftentimes, so your spouse, your friends, a coach, get 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 accountable. Make them public. When I when I took my life back twenty years ago, now two thousand one. God, it has been twenty years exactly. Um, we made a fourteen point covenant and put it, put it on the refrigerator. I signed my name to it told my wife and kids about it. And then of course, you know, this about me, I went vegan eight years ago. I told my kids, if you really want to be held accountable to something, uh, tell your kids, <laughs> can I tell you how many thousands of times the last eight years, I got to put something in my mouth and my kids say, dad, is that vegan? Is that vegan? You know? So they watch my life, man. It's good, but that's good. It makes me better. makes me better. Um, we
1: do have a question. Uh, kind of what we're reading at this point. Uh, so are, is there anything that jumps out for you that, uh, or what's your strategy toward reading at this point?
0: Yeah. To me, my personal development is like part of my spiritual life. I don't separate the two because I want to bring my, you know, so I read devotionally every day and I read professionally every day before I get up out of my chair, in my study, hmm. you know, cause I, they go together. Yeah, You know, they go together for me. That's the best way for me to do it. You know, I can't come home tonight and read while I'm supposed to be at home with my family because I'll jump into work mode really fast. You know, so I have to kind of do most of that in the mornings for me. What does it look like for you? When do you read?
1: Uh, I, I read when, you know, when I'm really in the rhythm reading, it's either morning or night. It, it's I don't do a lot of reading during the daytime with work stuff, but it, it's either first thing in the morning or in the evening. Um, I'm in a, I'm in a little bit of a different rhythm right now in reading. It's, uh, uh, I have found, and I don't know how much of this is COVID and how much of it's what's going on in culture, but the more I pay attention to news, the more I try, the more I read anything in my Facebook feed, the more out of sorts I feel like I'm, I'm actually wanting to ignore most of what's out there at this point. Yeah. And so. I am totally in a season of reading history stuff. I'm, I'm as a futurist who likes to look ahead. I'm actually finding some amount of stability looking back, like, you know, just reading about history things. So I'm reading a thing on George Washington right now, uh, I, we've just recently moved to Durham, North Carolina where Duke University is so I'm fascinated by the history of the Buchanan family and uh, uh, or the Duke family I'm sorry that uh, founded Duke University or that was named after. So I'm I'm in a in sort of a history season myself right now. It's awesome.
0: Well, um, another question about books um, out there. I know you probably can recommend some more. Uh, two pastors Tim Timberlake wrote a book called that just released called 1440. He's done at Celebration Church in Jacksonville. It's 1,440 minutes in a day.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Just stewarding your day for the glory of God. I think that's a good one. Of course, Batterson wrote a book called Win the Day. Um, That's really good. Mark Comer wrote a book called Ruthlessly Eliminating Hurry from Your Life. You know, John uh, Ortberg wrote the foreword to that. There's some great guys out there that have written on that. Winning the War in the Mind. Groschell's book on on mental health. And how he hammered out his own declarations, you know he and Chris Hodges, okay, these are t- two of the top five churches in America. you know they have literally you know written over their lives a set of biblical declarations, and they walk around in their study and verbalize them out loud to remind themselves of their identity and their calling mm. and I've often thought if those two guys need that daily. <laughs> mm. How much more does every pastor need to be reminded that they're anointed and called and appointed Mm -hmm. and that they're a godly man, a godly woman, you know, whatever.
1: You know, Sean, in this area of vitality, uh, John Walker, the founder of Blessing Ranch. Mm, uh, Yes. He's got a new book called Unhindered, Aligning the Story of Your Heart. Uh, it's a book I've just started. So uh, I've heard a lot of good reviews of that. And it's in this area of vitality.
0: It's great. Uh, uh-huh. My pastor's got a new book come out this month called Out of the Cave. It's on depression, mental health, strong, mm. based on the life of Elijah.
2: Hmm
0: you know, thousands of hours of research talking with people like Henry cloud and others, you know, on that issue. So there's, there's, that's a big issue, you know, out there to now and knowing what God's truths, you know, really are around those issues.
1: Um, I was going to ask you this earlier, Sean, we had another question come in, you know, my wife and I both work from home, the same home. So we've got two of us working at home. So this, even this idea of margin of how do you separate work and home I think we can probably trust that one of the impacts of COVID is going to be a significant number of people working from home, even after the pandemic's over. So the question that's come in is, is this idea of the boundaries or how do you separate the home life from the work life when you're working from home?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a simple answer. You know, have a start time and a stop time, mm. you know, and have a place. Mm. From early on, my kids were preschoolers. This is a decision we made in two thousand one. I was going to have a start time and a stop time, and I was trying to close my door and work. And Trisha was a stay-at-home mom. She's coming and interrupting my sermon, you know, or my Zoom call. It would be today, you know, which wasn't healthy. You know, I'm borderline ADD, so I'm I'm thrown off for two hours when somebody interrupts me, you know, and then. I'm coming out, but I'm still working. So I, I, we even, we taught our kids from an early age when the door of the study's closed. Dad's at work. Mm. He's at work. Don't bother him. Don't knock on the door. When he comes out, he's available mm. and he will come out on or before plug in the blank <laughs> unless he communicates and apologizes and asks permission otherwise and setting those healthy boundaries for our family with kids at young ages preschool they were all preschool back then. You know now it's just real normal in our family. Has it been weird? We roll with the same rhythm you know now. So I got a start time and a stop time and I got a place and it works. works. And everybody kind of knows that. But but again, it's making that decision once, having some robust dialogue on the front end to say, hey, I need some focused time. I need to be able to close the door. I need to be able to go in this room and you know, communicate to everybody when I'm there, I'm working. Hmm. And then I'm my my covenant is I'm not gonna work 24 seven. Hmm. I'm going to shut it down at a certain time every day with a few exceptions and be available. Have,
1: have you been able to be disciplined to not actually work from your recliner in the living room? Yes, I don't.
0: I do not my, put my laptop in my recliner ever because hmm. it is the abyss. It is the, the pit of hell. <laughs> if I put my laptop in my lap in the recliner, it's over, man. It's over. So I, I, I don't do that. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, Sean, it's been great to catch up with you today. I, you know, I think we both would just say this topic is so vitally important, and uh, um, I want to encourage people. You know, when Sean talks about this is a, you know, one of the key things they do at Courage to Lead, and they've got the model with the gears. Um, uh, I, I want to encourage in this area of vitality that if you if you're feeling like you need help you know that and and sean doesn't like it when i try to promote courage to lead but seriously if you're having a hard time in this area you really need to reach out to courage to lead and to sean and you know he mobilizes an army of coaches and people that are there to help with uh with this kind of thing so i would uh i would encourage you to do that and uh We've got it exponential. I mentioned earlier this uh idea of resetting. We we've got a summit coming up on May 19th, Sean. It's uh called Reset Leading with Confidence in the Post-COVID era. Like I said, we're gonna really press into personal scorecards, healthy scorecards. Uh that's May 19th. Uh it's a it's a free event. Uh you know, I'm I'm sure it's uh let's see, we've got four simultaneous tracks with six workshop sessions in each one. So there's at least 24, you know, sessions of programming. Um, Terry Saliba, our uh, executive director, she previews all the content, knows who all the speakers are. And she's telling me that this may be the best integrated, comprehensive content that we've pulled together in our history. That just when she's reviewing the content that's coming in, you know, for this thing, it's, it's pretty amazing. So I want to encourage people to take advantage of it. It's free. So, uh, may 19th multiplication.org forward slash reset. So.
0: Yeah. Alrighty, sure. the relationship, you know, Simon Sinek says, you know, the, in the infinite game, your real goal, if if you want to win, just stay in the game longer than everybody else. Hmm. There's a lot of merit to that, my friend, you know? So, it's finishing well. It's thinking marathon, you know, instead of sprint. And really, it's not quitting in the dip. You know, it's getting help. It's it's not focusing on what you're not, but what you can be. It's not how good you are. It's how good you want to be and what you're willing to do to get better and get help. Pride goes before a fall. You know, we had a good friend take his life last year that just wouldn't wouldn't admit the struggle, mm. you know, and you're only as safe as your secret's. So we love providing that for guys, you know. Mm-hmm. And we and Vanderblom and I talk about it. The longer we do life and ministry and work with pastors, the less judgmental we become.
2: Mm.
0: <laughs> Recognizing we're all bro- fragile, broken creatures, and we're on a journey, you know, together. So no judgment zone at exponential occurs to lead. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, we're in, we're in it with you guys, and we love you. And it's an honor to invest into you today.
1: Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Sean. We'll talk here soon.